Hey y'all, welcome back to Native Soil. We continue to reflect upon the poor in our midst. And last time we were talking to Sister Cecilia, so many things kind of stirred in my heart, but one, it just caused me to think about the saints in our lives and the role that they play. She talked a lot about St. John Jagan, who started the Little Sisters of the Poor. She's pictured back on our set back there. And it got me to think about, you know, sometimes we pick out saints to have a devotion to, to learn about, to read about. And sometimes saints pick us out. And I want to talk about one saint in my life more than any other saint who's kind of picked me out for whatever reason and challenged me in many different ways, but also to consider, you know, how the Lord is calling me to make a gift to myself, you know, with the poor in mind. So this uh, story takes me back to seminary. Uh, I studied two years at St. Charles in Philadelphia, and then I spent four years in Rome, Italy, North American College. And the very first Christmas break, uh, we had a couple weeks to ourselves to travel, to kind of see, you know, something different. And uh, one of the blessings of being over there was there was another seminary in Leuven, Belgium. And it was an American seminary for seminarians, study to be priest in Leuven. It's actually a year or two older than um, the one in Rome. Archbishop Fulton Sheen studied there. Uh, Just fun fact. It's since closed, but while we were there, we had a reciprocal where we could go there and stay for free and they could come to Rome and stay for free. So it was kind of a wonderful place to go. And so me and at the time, Pat Ehrensberg, now Father Pat Ehrensberg, uh, didn't have Christmas plans. And a couple guys suggested to us, like, why don't you go over there? You can stay for free. You can get to know Belgium. And so we went over there to check it out. And beautiful town. It was ended up being a great trip. That's where Pat and I really started to be close friends just it, it, over there in Leuven. But when we were there, everyone, uh, a lot of people were making reference to this guy named Father Damien. And I never heard of this. And they said, you don't know about Father Damien? I said, no, I never heard of Father Damien. I said, he's the leper priest. He's the priest that ministered to lepers. I said, never heard of this guy. I said, well, he's buried right down the block. And so one day I distinctly remember we went down and visited this church and around the outside of the first floor of the church, there was all these big pictures and descriptions about who this Father Damien was and what his life was. And uh, then you go downstairs, and it's very simple, very plain room, and uh, Father Damien is buried there. And he was kind of covered in this big kind of concrete tomb in the middle of a room, and they had benches all around it where you could sit and pray. And we were able to spend some time praying there that first year in Rome, you know, on this Christmas break in Leuven. And something about that place was just a very, uh, very kind of place where I felt close to the Lord. And there was just kind of some rich prayer. And when I was in prayer, for whatever reason, every time I'd pray there, I just had the same image in my mind. And it was basically a Father Damien who ministered to the lepers, who became a leper, who died with the lepers on the island of Malachi. It was him with his uh, hands once he had become a leper, holding the Eucharist, and just those words, this is my body broken for you. Um, it just That image to me just spoke a lot about, okay, this is a sacrament of charity. We receive it, and it transforms us to live our lives in this charitable way. But it was always that image just of of, of of Damien, just his hands, hands of a leper holding the Eucharist. This is my body broken for you. So that was our first year of uh, seminary. And that just, that started a devotion. It started a uh, kind of interest in prayers to Damien. At that point, he um, 
was blessed. He had not been canonized. And so two years pass, and the miracle comes forth for Damien to become Saint Damien. And there's this whole process when somebody's declared a saint, they investigate the person's life, they, they, they try to look at their letters, they look at people who knew them to see, is this person really a, a life of virtue for the whole world to be inspired by? Um, and then also there's two miracles that have to happen through this saint's intercession uh, as a sign that this person is in heaven and this person truly is interceding you know, on behalf of the church. So this miracle came through and the news came that you know Damien was going to be canonized. Now, the rector of our seminary, uh, Jim Cecchio at the time, he's now uh, Bishop Cecchio, he um, knew that Pat and one other uh, guy in seminary, now Father Rio Falsa, who's in Hawaii, they both had connection to Hawaii. Their family was from Hawaii. And so our rector had found a way for um, Pat and this guy Rio to serve, to be one of the altar servers for this mass of canonization. And so we all thought this was this was really cool. And but that weekend, the weekend that it was happening, every now and then we get a free weekend at the seminary we could travel. And I remember that weekend I tried to leave and visit somewhere like three or four different plans, but they all just kind of fell through. And finally I was like, well, you know, Pat's serving for the Pope, so um might as well see him do that. So um, I ended up staying, and I remember very distinctly one the Saturday morning, uh, the canonization was on a Sunday, that Saturday morning, getting a phone call uh, that got me out of bed and you know answered the phone, and I just remember they said, is this Victor? I said, yeah, this is Victor. They said, Victor, do you want to serve Mass for the Pope tomorrow? I said, what? They said, do you want to serve Mass for the Pope tomorrow? And I said, and then my, my brain kind of kicked on, and I remember saying like, where are you? They said, we're on the steps of, uh, St. Peter's. I said, how much time do I have? They're like, as little as possible. I'm like, do I have time to take a shower? They're like, no. So <laughs> the, the religious order that Damien was a part of, there were six or seven guys that did not show up for whatever reason for this practice. They were having practice before, you know, the big mass the next day they were scrambling they needed like seven guys to serve. And so because of the travel weekend, a lot of people were out of town. So they called the rector. He was out of town. The head spiritual director, he was out of town. The vice rector, he was out of town. And finally, in um, frustration, they were like, does anyone know anyone actually at this seminary? Because <laughs> our seminary was close to the Vatican. So they they called because it'd be a close close walk. And so Pat was like, well, I think Victor's around. So that's, that's how they called me. And so uh, right before they hung up, they were like, okay, find seven other guys click. And so I just, uh, I had, I had the forethought to call the other guys from mobile to see if anyone was around and father Steven Rizal was around. So he came and then I just ran up and down the hall and just knocking on doors, kind of like a wild man trying to find other guys to serve. And it was like the same template. Everyone was so confused. They were, everyone asked the same question. Like, do I have time to take a shower? I was like, no, get on your, <laughs> get on your clerics. Let's run down. So we get this group of guys and uh seven of us are sprinting down to st peter's we get there we're like drenched in sweat but we show up and before we know it we're like going through the rehearsal for this mass so um it was just an amazing it was just amazing kind of how it all came together and by the next day you know we're all serving and it's just this very profound experience and the other piece of it that was kind of amazing as far as saints kind of reaching out to you 
is in that same mass of canonization, there's a special mass where the people who are being canonized are, you know, prayed for in a special way. And this is kind of the official uh, part of, 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 of declaring them as saints. Another one of the saints that was being canonized in that mass was St. John of Jagan, the founder of Little Sisters of the Poor. And the other interesting thing that was significant about that was that was the first saint I'd ever prayed to. Growing up in Montgomery, the Little Sisters of the Poor would, and they continue to do this, but they go around all the parishes begging for support to be able to support their mission to take care of the elderly poor. And I always remember they would come growing up and they would leave little holy cards of Jean Jagan. And growing up in Montgomery, it's only 1% Catholic. I didn't go to Catholic school. I just wasn't exposed to a lot of saints. But I do remember taking one of those prayer cards home and putting it by my bedside and uh, frequently you know, praying the prayer on that card to John Jagan for her intercession. And so then here I am at her canonization mass. And at that mass, there were little sisters from around the world. And there were a couple who were serving in Mobile. And so we kind of had this connection um, at some point after the mass, we kind of connected and realized we were all from Mobile, but just amazing kind of how the Lord can, uh, weave these things together. And that really solidified, you know, for myself and, and for father Pat too, a, a growing devotion to St. Damien. When it got time, uh, to be ordained, I knew I wanted to include father Damien somehow and, um, the, the, the process, but wasn't sure exactly how. And one thing, my mom, her best friend is a painter. And so she had offered to paint something that in honor of my ordination that we could kind of put on the holy card uh, commemorating my ordination that could we put on the program or just something in honor of the ordination. And so she kept asking me, what do you want me to put on this card? And I just couldn't for the life of me. I just felt like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. It seems like such an important thing to, to figure out. Well, the, um, I was home in Montgomery the summer before going to my last year of uh, seminary and was having to kind of get all these things lined up. And the very last day that I was home, I had to kind of give Joan an answer. And I went to Mass that morning. And when I went to Mass that morning, there was this new family that had just moved to our parish and their son served the Mass with me. And during the Mass, that image came back to me as the Mass was unfolding in my mind and my heart of Damien holding the Eucharist with the hands of a leper saying, this is my body, you know, broken for you. And that was just on my mind, on my heart the whole time. And, uh, as the mass of I was like, that's it. That's, that's, that's what I should have her paint, you know? And so after mass, I've kind of got, I'm thinking about that and I'm, and I'm planning to go straight from mass to her house. Cause I told her, I'm going to come to your house after this mass and tell you the image. So thanks be to God. The Lord gave me the image. And after the mass, I'm talking to this new family and they're telling me about where they are. And they had just moved from Hawaii and they were going on and on about, they have this great devotion to St. Uh, Damien Malachi and the priest that they knew who was a sacred heart priest from Hawaii was like at the canonization mass. And they were all watching the canonization mass in Hawaii, just like so excited and then participating in a mass there locally and all these things. And I was like, this is wild. This is wild. How's all connecting. And so they finished their whole thing, just unsolicited. Tell me this whole thing. I was like, we're well, not going to believe this, but I actually, um, served that mass. And they're like, what, how did that happen? So I had to tell them the whole story. 
So it was just an amazing connection, and they had some medals of St. Damien that they had brought from Malachi that had, like, touched a relic of St. Damien. So give me these medals. So they give me some of these medals. I go straight from there to my mom friend's Joan's house. I'm like, all right, Joan, I finally got the image. I'm sorry I made you wait so long. And she goes, okay, lay it on me. What is it? I said, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't know if this, this is okay with you, but I had told her about praying it. Father Damien's tomb, and I said, I always had this image of him with the hands as a leper holding the Eucharist, and those words, "This is my body broken for you." And as I'm telling her, it's it. I just remember her face just getting kind of white, like she'd seen a ghost or something. And I said, I mean, have you ever heard of this priest? Is this just kind of strange for you, or would that be kind of weird to have to draw hands? I know it's kind of unsightly, and she just said, No, it's just it's just so wild that this Damien. She goes, When I was a little girl. I found a book underneath like our couch one day about St. Damien. And I read that book and it just made such an impression on me that I always kind of had this devotion. And me and my husband one time were able to go to that island and visit there and just have a really special connection. So she said, yeah, like I would, I would be totally honored to um, do this painting and, you know, it's going to mean a lot to me. And so I gave her one of those medals that this, I said, well, I just found this family and they're from Hawaii and they gave me these medals. I said, well, you know, I'd like you to have one of these medals. And so she took that medal. She would like wear that medal as she would like work on the painting and all. And, uh, it just, you know, turned out so beautifully. And, um, this, this is the image for those of y'all watching, you know, this is, this is how it turned out, but this is the image. The original one's in my office in my room, but she painted and, uh, had put this together, prayed about a lot. And me and Father Pat just put it on our programs for our first mass. We put on our holy cards. We put on our invitations. And it just was such a neat thing to um, be able to incorporate this saint who had kind of reached out to us um, for whatever reason, you know, earlier, you know, in our training to be a priest. So since then, uh, Father Damien's just been a close companion. And, you know, there, there'll be numerous times, you know, I've, I've met other priests who have a real devotion to them. It's just kind of instant connection. And it gives us a chance to share kind of at a deep level of, um, why we love him, why we're inspired by him, how that kind of influences, you know, our own priesthood. But, um, like I said before, some saints you look for and other saints kind of choose you and reach out to you. And in the context of native soil, you know, I've mentioned Father Damien before, but to me, he's just one of kind of like the, the, the quintessential native soil saints in the sense that, and I want to get into his story a little bit more and then kind of just conclude by inviting, you know, everyone listening to reflect on, you know, what, what does his example say to us about really becoming part of kind of where we are? Um, but he, you know, he's from Leuven, Belgium. He grew up in Leuven, Belgium. He was a farm boy. He felt called to be a missionary priest. He winds up in the islands of Hawaii and he serves, you know, kind of parish ministry, uh, normal parish ministry for a couple of years. But then there's this real need to serve lepers. There's, uh, there was a outbreak of leprosy and they were quarantining, um, all of people with leprosy on this Island called Malachi. And it was really kind of the dumpiest. I mean, you're in Hawaii, so everything, you know, in our mind is like so nice. But Malachi was really kind of one of the less desirous um, islands. But the bishop really uh, asked for some volunteers because everyone, you know, leprosy, it's an ancient disease. Now we kind of know it as Hansen's disease. And we know now that really only 10% of people in the world can get it. Most people have antibodies for it, but it's a, it's a very ancient disease. It attacks your nervous system and slowly basically 
eats away at your nervous system. Your nerves start to fail and, you know, it, it causes a lot of deformities along the body. Circulation starts to quits going to certain places. So it's a very kind of ghastly disease, um, which has scared people throughout all the centuries. And, you know, Damien and his contemporaries were no, no uh, exception. But Holy Spirit inspires him to go to this island, which was really a place without any hope. Um, most people, they knew that they had a terminal disease and the spirit was kind of, well, let's go down in a blaze of glory. So there was a lot of drunkenness. There was a lot of prostitution. There was a lot of um, immorality, uh, taking advantage of women. And the church there, the faith was all but dead. There was one chapel there that was very dilapidated. You know, one had been there in a while. But Damien, you know, volunteers to go to this island. And, um, he really was just kind of dropped off there. Everyone else was so afraid to catch leprosy that, um, he was just kind of put there and, and everyone, you know, took off on a ship and, and left him there. Um, but he just poured himself out for those people and he helped to physically, you know, being a farm boy from Belgium, the Lord and his providence, you know, he had the skills to be able to physically rebuild the church, but also to spiritually rebuild the church. And he hiked all over the mountain. He built other. He built a number of different little churches and chapels to be able to meet all the people who lived there. Um, even for his own spiritual needs, uh, the bishop would come and stand on the edge of the 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 ship, and Father Damien would have to shout out his sins to the to the bishop because the bishop was too afraid to come down. And it was very humiliating, and the the the, the people on the island would laugh at him and all this stuff, but. He so believed in the Lord, the sacraments, that he was willing to do this. But he just went about as best as he could taking care of these people, trying to give them the care physically, spiritually that they needed. And honestly, for the first several years, it was not very successful. They weren't super receptive to him coming in there and trying to help them. They, it, it was a hard shell. Uh, you know, these people had very little hope. They'd been abandoned this island, and it was very hard to win their trust that, he, that they actually cared for him. When his ministry really started to take off was when he um, realized he had burnt, he had spilled some uh, boiling water on his hand and, and didn't really feel it. And he realized that he had contracted leprosy. And as he kind of came into solidarity with these people in that way, that's when the Lord really started to open up his ministry. And more and more people started to come to church. More and more people started to be responsive to his preaching. He started to notice, too, why some people weren't coming to church. And one of the reasons that people weren't coming to church was because they were embarrassed. You know, Hansen's disease it would debilitate uh, their facial features to the point that a lot of them would drool because they couldn't contain, uh, you know, they didn't have enough motor functions to kind of contain everything. And so he started, so they were embarrassed to come to church because they were going to, like, drool in church. So he cut, if you go to the church, I hear that you can still see this, he cut these slits and the floor in front of where everybody would stand so that the drool could go from, uh, you know, down into the ground below the church. And also where he would stand and preach, there was a, there's a little slit there where he used to, you know, it would give him a place where he could drool into the, to the ground below. It's just, there's, there's so many details about his life that, um, you know, you really just have to, to read and, and, and kind of dig into, but, he uh, was kind of like a Mother Teresa figure of his day, you know, in the late 1800s. And a lot of support from around the world started to, you know, money and support that, it, that took a long time to happen. There was a lot of kind of 
tension between him and the Hawaiian government and kind of about what he was doing. And, you know, the government kind of felt like he was making them look bad because he was kind of calling them out for having such bad standards. But um, he was just kind of relentless in caring for these people. But by the time that he had died uh, on that island, you know, 90% of the island had become practicing Catholics. And every single inhabitant of the island attended his funeral. Him loving them, him offering his body, united to the broken body of Jesus in the Eucharist for those people, had really taken root there. And because of the life that he lived, he really became a hero, not just to the people on that island, but to all of Hawaii. So much so that in our nation's capital, in the rotunda of our nation's capital, every state is allotted two statues. They can pick whatever people they want to be represented there who are kind of heroes of their state's history. And Father Damien is one of the very few priests that are pictured in those statues representing, you know, the state of Hawaii. And to the Hawaiian church now, I mean, everybody knows who he is. He's, he's obviously a big figure. Um, but it's amazing to me that this Belgian farm boy allowed himself through God's providence to be planted in a place that uh, is so different, so far away, but he allowed himself to become so much one with the soil of that place for that to really become his native soil that now, you know, as we pray to him, as we remember him, as the church, um, you know, celebrates him, he is connected to Malachi, you know, St. Damien of Malachi. And uh, one of the neat things when I was ordained is that same family who was in Hawaii had got me this uh, statue of, of Damien that they had it blessed by a priest from his order who was actually at that same canonization with me. And had um, they had gone to, back to Hawaii and had him bless this. And he's been on the, the set here since, since the beginning. I tell, I tell this whole story just to invite you to consider um, a radical example of somebody who really allowed himself to become a part of his new native soil. Of where the Lord brought him, he became such a radical part of it that now we'll always remember him in conjunction with that place. I invite you, I tell you this story to invite you to consider who are the lepers around us? Who are the lepers in our own native soil? The people that we are afraid of, the people that we are afraid to be around, the people that we um, are, are not sure how to go about caring for, the people that have s such messy lives that we are afraid to even go into their neighborhoods. We're afraid to go into their space. And just to invite you to pray about the needs of the poor on our own native soil. And I just invite St. Damien to kind of guide us as a diocese, as people who are listening to this, to have that heroic virtue that he had of charity. And I think particularly this image, I, I, I kind of conclude with this thought, particularly this image has always resonated with me of the Eucharist, you know, of him, he's given his body to be broken. And, and the reason he did was because he centered his life around the broken body of Jesus given to us in the Eucharist. And, you know, we really are intended to become what we eat. We receive Jesus. We receive him in the sacrament of charity as he, as, as it's been called, I believe Pope Benedict referred to it as that. And 
as we receive the Eucharist, as we receive the broken body and blood of our Lord Jesus poured out for us, how does he want to transform us to be his broken body and blood poured out for the needs of our native soil? And to have that heart, that preferential option, that preferential openness to be broken, to be poured out for the poor. And we see it on the series, uh, a number of people who have allowed themselves to be stretched in that kind of way, allowed themselves to be given courage to love in that kind of way. And we're all being called in some way to kind of get out of our comfort zone and be able to enter into the messiness of other people's lives. All of us in different ways. Some of us will be more physical, concrete, tangible. Some of us maybe maybe more spiritual. But he is calling us, you know, to follow the example of the saints in this kind of way. So I throw it out there for your consideration and be open to those saints who might find you, who might grab your attention, who might provoke you and kind of claim you as their own and invite you to consider, you know, how their life is intended to resonate with your life. And so let us just conclude with a prayer. Blessed Mother, we we ask that you guide us. Show us how to say yes to how, you know, the, the Lord wants to take flesh in us as he took flesh in you. As we receive the broken body and blood of your son, as you held him at the foot of the cross, Lord, help us to hold him in our arms and be inspired to figure out how we're supposed to make a gift of ourselves to our native soil. And so we just ask your help in this process as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Through her intercession, through the intercession of St. Damien of Malachi, may Almighty God bless you, all those who are listening. Bless our native soil, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all. Look forward to having you back here with us on Native Soil. <laughs>